Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. And don't forget, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. Hi, Erica. Hi. How's it going? It's going. You know, pandemic. Happy, good, fun times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pandemic times. It was nice to uh, to see you virtually a couple of weeks ago. Yes. That's, yes. We, um, if any of our listeners were there, we did a uh, an appearance at the Fest for Beatles fans, the virtual Fest for Beatles fans, in a room called the Faboratory all day on Saturday. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, I think the highlight of the day for me was Flaming Pie. Oh, yeah, that was great. I mean, we did a little listen through the original album with our friend Jeremy, who was in the room. Mm-hmm. And always fun to hang out with Jeremy virtually. Yeah. Hi, Jeremy. I hope you're Hi, listening. Hi, Jeremy. We talked about the, you know, the original album, and we'll be talking about the new reissues. Uh, yeah. coming out. We got some copies, and uh, I'm going to be doing um, an unboxing on Instagram Live after this episode goes up. So please, please follow us at BC the Beatles on Instagram and you know, we'll post when that will be happening. So that's something to look forward to. But yeah, the fest, uh, it was so cool to have it happen live, virtually. Yeah, it was great. I mean, we got to talk to a lot of Beatle buddies that usually get to see, especially in Chicago Fest, which is the one that happens in August traditionally. And that's that's the best fest. Yeah, so. it is the yeah. best fest. It was really nice to see all of our friends and see their faces and to see some really good concerts. Of course, my forever crush, Lawrence Juber. Um, <laughs> I know you're looking forward to that. <laughs> we need to have him on here and you can just like giggle like a schoolgirl the whole time. That will be great. That will be great. <laughs> I think that would be great personally you will think that's funny indeed i'm like you're so talented i can't talk to you because you freak me out and you played with paul Uh. oh my gosh well that'll be just the whole interview it's just like alternating like tell me paul stories and also just like play some like spanish riffs on your guitar on your acoustic guitar lawrence juber i'm gonna be like that that skit that's like Remember when you were in the Beatles with Paul McCartney oh, and Saturday Night Live? Chris Farley. Yes. <laughs> that was awesome. Yes, it's going to be you. <laughs> you played on Back to the Egg. That was so cool. <laughs> That's great. I mean, you know, I don't know that anybody would turn down an opportunity to be fond over. We'll have a, you know, an, an adult interview, a nice. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, One day we will, we will have Mr. Juber on. It will be yeah. fantastic. Yes. And another session that we were hosting in the laboratory in the fest was this fun session about the Beatles and mental health. Yeah. God, this time in our lives, it's so important to embrace music as a form of therapy. I know it's been a real therapeutic thing for me to just kind of like end my day listening to music. And obviously the Beatles are a big part of that. And um, we met a an artist named Magic and he came in and showed us a video that he made. Magic lives in the Philippines, and he met another artist called Kat Fields. She lives in the Netherlands. And they collaborated on a video of Beatles covers, just like snippets of Beatles covers. That's very, very cool. It came from a place of wanting to give something to Beatles fans, just to have a happy moment in these crazy times. 
Yeah, and all the songs that they featured were like, All You Need Is Love and Let It Be, and just songs that are calming in the face of strife and anxiety. It was a really nice thing. And we'll put a link to it in the uh, the show notes, too, so you can take a look. Yeah. Um, it's really nice. It's like 14 minutes of just lovely collaboration and, you know, Magic plays the guitar and Cat sings. And it's just very, like, I found it very soothing and, and kind of nice to start the morning off. And Magic has such a, like, nice, happy, gentle spirit. So oh, yeah, he's a sweetheart. Somebody that you want to you watch. Definitely. Hi, Magic. He's probably listening. So I hope so. Um, I hope so, too. So one other thing that we wanted to mention before we get into our awesome interview with Dale Roberts, talk about some camera club myths and rumors, what we're starting to do giveaways. Yay. Yay. Hooray. Yay. So we have a ton of stuff. I have a ton of crap in my apartment. Not crap. Good stuff. Great Beatles stuff. Not great. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about like signed copies of books that have been generously given to us by some of our guests. I have Bruce McMouse posters <laughs> from when Bruce McMouse was at theaters last year, which was um, amazing. So which was so good. You want one of these? I want another one of these. I'll I'll save you one. You can have one from my stash. Yeah. Um, I think I think we have a copy. Don't we have an extra copy of the Beat the Beatles New York Post? Yep. which is legendary i mean we have a bunch of assorted stuff i i I want to say this for my favorite beatles thing of the week but just a preview i have stuff from strawberry field in liverpool to give away um that i you know have in my possession and just like a bunch of you know fun beetle stuff so here's how you're gonna get it we are going to give away something at the end of the month to somebody who's given us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you do that, make sure you email us um, at bcthebeatles at gmail.com with a link or some identifying way of telling us if that's your review and put the word giveaway on the subject and we'll choose a winner. Yeah, and if you've already given a review, thank you so much for doing that and you are still eligible. Just do the same thing. Send us an email letting us know which one is you and we'll include you in the monthly drawing. Please go for that because we want to disperse all this fun stuff to y'all and spread the love. Oh yeah. So today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. Dale Roberts is here. He is the youngest Beatles tour guide, not only on the Magical Mystery Tour, but in Liverpool. Uh, He's also the social media manager for Cavern City Tours and marketing coordinator as well. Um, In 2019, Dale set up the extremely popular behind-the-scenes tour of the Cavern Club, which we're going to talk about. And it takes guests on a 45-minute journey around Matthew Street and the Cavern Club. Um, He also helped develop hop-on, hop-off tours in Liverpool. Dale also has his own tour company, which specializes in, and I'm very excited to do this next time I'm in Liverpool, Beatles Pub Crawls. And he's also a freelance writer and blogger. So Dale, yay, thanks for being on Because the Beatles. Welcome. I have to say that's that was some write-up, wasn't it? That was impressive. Yeah, I think, did you do that? I don't think I did that, no. It's, uh, <laughs> I was wondering where you found that information on me. I thought, well, am I so open online? Is there too much information out there about me? Well, there's too much info about everybody, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, but it's it's a good resume. I was thinking this morning, I'm super excited because I think you're the first person from Liverpool we've had on the podcast. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, so okay. this is this is a big deal. Here's a question. Yeah. So 
do we as Americans call you a Liverpudlian or can we say Scouser? You can say Scousers. It's actually one of the most asked questions that I get. Is, uh, is Scouser yeah. an offensive phrase? It's not. No, not at all. It's a... Uh, it's completely non-offensive. It depends on how it's used. I will be honest about that. Um, but Liverpoolians, mm-hmm. Scousers, Northerners can all be used in an offensive kind of way. But if you know anything about Liverpoolians, we're not that offended, especially you know, especially these days. I like to think right. And the term Scouse, I was talking to a friend this morning, and she's like, "Where does that come from?" And I'm like, "Well, does it come from the dish? Does it come from the dialect?" It's, it's ironic, by the way, because earlier on today. I did. This is linked to the story, by the way. Uh, early on today, I went out to the to the shop and bought all the ingredients to make a pan of scouse. Okay, yes. so literally just before I, I came on air at the minute, uh, I, I quickly rushed a, a bowl of scouse down myself. So it's very it's very apt that you'd ask that question because you had no idea that it's just like <laughs> a didn't. bowl of scouse. Yeah, we didn't plan this at all. So the the the, the history of it is is of course Liverpool being a seaport. Uh, with you know the, the river Mersey, everything like that. Um, the sailors would go uh, across, you know, Scandinavia and the likes, and um, we got a reputation for liking a Norwegian dish, a Scandinavian dish called lobskouse. Um, mm. And the sailors were so known for eating so much scouse that it just became known as scousers. Now that is the traditional answer, of course. When it comes to many people, if you are from Liverpool and you're listening right now, you've probably heard a different reason as to why it was called scousers. But that is. Probably the most authentic. It was an old sailor term for the the seamen who came from Liverpool, um, and they all became known as Scousers. And it's now Liverpool's national dish. And I'm saying national on purpose, by the way. It's our national dish. Whenever anyone comes to Liverpool, they have to have a bowl of Scouse. So, uh, did did you have a bowl of Scouse when you came to Liverpool? Actually, it's funny. I have been to Liverpool many times, but only this last time when I met you at the cavern yeah. did I have my first bowl of Scouse. Okay, okay. And I did, what did you think of it? I loved it. I mean, I love like a stewy kind of like comfort food dish. Yeah. So it was, and it was cold. I was there in February. So I was down by the Beatles story and I stopped into like a tiki bar on Albert Dock and had a bowl of scouts and like a Mai Tai. And it was great. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> well truthfully, it, it's strange to me to cook a bowl of scouts now in August. That That is the weirdest thing in the world. I was going to say, yeah. Now my house is absolutely boiling hot. So I had, I had no peps because you've got to keep it on a low heat for a good four to five hours. And, and the tradition, realistically, scouts taste better the next day. Just for anyone who's yeah. listening out there who wants to know any top tips for scouse, you know, uh, you leave it overnight and, and it, it tastes significantly better the next day. Yeah, but I've had it on a, on a heat for five hours. And, and me, well, my apartment that I live in is absolutely roasting hot. And um, to make sure I've got the best possible audio right now, I've closed all my windows and I'm dying. I'm not going to lie. Oh, my God. I've got well, five minutes left before the melt. <laughs> you're, well, we better hurry. Uh, you're sacrificing yourself for this interview. Seriously? Thank you. You're putting me body on the line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you guys have crockpots. I mean, uh, it might save your life I've over what? there. What, what's that? A crockpot. A crockpot? Crock what, what's that? Oh, my gosh. I'm going to change your life. A crockpot is like a pot but you cook it you plug it in it's electrical and you can cook something like on low or high for like four or five hours yeah, we call that slow cooker over here in oh, the, yeah, slow cooker, slow same thing. yeah okay crock pot yeah. okay i remember that it's like a brand i guess it's like you know calling a garbage can a dumpster it's like a brand that's become like <laughs> the, the synonym for what it is yeah so. 
Well, no, mine. Yeah. My, my my son watches a, a massive amount of YouTube at the minute, and loads of different YouTubers, mm-hmm. and he starts saying garbage and trash, and <laughs> a, a lot of other American words that that I'm like, where have you learned this man? Yeah, you know, YouTube. <laughs> He's learned it from YouTube. That's yeah. we're warping his mind with our American literal garbage seriously yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i i want to talk about liverpool a little bit since you are our first scouser okay. i can say that i am so curious what is it like growing up in liverpool having the beatles as your hometown boys like what's the feeling by the locals there well you're probably asking the wrong person for one um I, for me I, i'm extremely proud to come from liverpool i'm extremely proud uh, that the beatles came from liverpool and uh, I, I remember a few years back, it was the craziest thing when I really started obsessing about the Beatles. And I have a very strange brain that does that. The second I get into a, a subject or a topic, I, I can study it in depth. And, and, and I'm fortunate enough that I can learn it quite quick. Um, but I was probably about 20, 21. And I realized, hold on, George Harrison was born just around the corner almost. And um, I got in the car and it was just like, George Harrison's, here I am. And I, I just stood outside the house and, and just Googled the, the information that was relevant. You know, the, the best tour in the world, of course, Google. Um, just Googled it and I was like, wow. And it, I was in awe. And then all of a sudden I was going out drinking in the Cavern Club. And and then, of course, I, I, I remember I remember going outside the Casbah and standing at the bottom of, of Heyman's Green and just being like, wow. You know, and that for me it was crazy. And I always say that the, the most magical thing for me is the four. And, and John Lennon says this himself. You know, and it's a fantastic quote of his in the anthology album. They were just four normal lads from Liverpool who made it very, very big. You know, mm-hmm. and it, that it's as simple as that for me. I, I find it quite magical that for myself, I, I had a very similar upbringing. I, I was born in Walton, so County Road, a very working class area. We we call it over here. Um, and, and Paul McCartney, the world's greatest ever songwriter, musician, and composer, he was born like literally a stone's throw away from where I was brought up. You know, the wow. Bolton Hospital is, is literally at the top of my road. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm. And it, it, in Liverpool, we take it for granted, and we always have done ever since the early sixties and the, the Mersey Meat movement. It, it was just another thing in this city in a way and and ever since uh, it, it's been viewed as such i think so if you asked any other scouser they might go oh yeah we get fed up with the beatles you know whenever they go on holiday for example around the world it's oh you're from liverpool the beatles and that's it you know um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true i whenever i hear somebody with you know like a northern accent i'm always like oh, okay don't mention the beatles don't do it <laughs> i always do it's, you've, yeah. got to, you've got to do it I mean, I, I like to think realistically we're known around the world for music and football. And of course, the music is the Beatles and, and the football is is Liverpool FC, of course. So these days you do get a lot more like Steven Gerrard. You know, it, it, whenever I've went anywhere else, it's either the Beatles or Steven Gerrard that people mention, strangely enough. Yeah. Who, sorry, Just, who's that? <laughs> Who is Steven Gerrard? Wow. I don't I don't know anything. He's the captain of, of soccer. I have just said soccer. I feel sick with me. I'm only joking. You don't have to say soccer, no, right? Football. Um, Steven Gerrard was the captain of Liverpool Football Club for a good, uh, I'd say about 11 or 12 years. Um, oh. And he was legendary. He was the England captain as well. Um, yeah, and he ended up moving to, to the States. He moved to LA. 
There you go. Oh, great. I'll say hi to him. Yeah, yeah, you know, maybe he's one of the ones where I'm like, Hey, are you from Liverpool? Are you probably the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, it's that guy. Oh yeah. He hates me. Um, well, but, <laughs> so you said you had the realization at 21 is that when you became a Beatles fan? Um, Hardcore. It's terrible, terrible confession to make. But yes, I was roughly around 19 or 20. Uh, I remember one of the first moments, I, I was actually about 15. I was on a car journey from a place in the United Kingdom called Wales. A beautiful, mm. beautiful country. And we were driving back. It was a three-hour, four-hour journey. And we had the Beatles on. And of course, I knew every word to every one of the Beatles' greatest hits. You know, because I was from Liverpool and it's expected that we know all the words. Um, and I, I remember that was my first real, you know, the Beatles are great. Wow. You know, incredible band. Yeah, I'm proud that they came from Liverpool. And I was probably about 16. Um, but I've, I remember I was planning my wedding. I, I, was, I was married for five years. And I remember we had a Beatles song at the wedding. And, and that was another moment. I just wanted a piece of the, the city, you know, at the wedding ceremony, in effect. But it mm-hmm. came from a, a cultural pride. But this is crazy. I, I probably think I'm the only Beatles fan who was ever converted into a hardcore Beatles fan from this song. But it was a uh, one day I was listening. I can't even remember what rubbish com- compilation album I was listening to. But it was the John Lennon solo song, Dear Yoko, on there. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely adore it. So you've got Oh Yoko and Dear Yoko, but Dear Yoko, I'm not going to sing it. Really. No one wants to hear that. Oh, Dear Yoko. There yeah, you there. Go. <laughs> that, that was beautiful. Yeah. Get, get karaoke going now. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah I, I listened to that song, and I remember I'd never heard it before in my life. And I was 21, mm-hmm. and I was driving in the car. And I was like, wow, that, that song, that, that. Wow. But John's voice was completely different. And as we know, in the 70s, John had more of a nasally voice than he did in, in the early 60s with the Beatles. So all of a sudden, I was like, I've never listened to any of John's solo stuff, really, apart from Imagine, of course. And all of a sudden, I was like, I'm, I, I need to listen to them. I really should not confess this. I hope that there's not a, a, a statutory you know, limitations on this. But uh, I remember going home after that car journey and going on a, a little piece of software I had called LimeWire all those years ago. Oh, yeah. Terrible. I know. Oh, yeah. How disgusting of me. Um, Big fan. Yeah. Well, they, they, <laughs> I literally littered my computer full of hundreds of thousands of viruses and um, downloaded every John Lennon solo album. And I religiously listened to Lennon. And then all of a sudden, I was like, hold on, George Harrison. And I started religiously listening to Harrison and then all the McCartney uh, solo albums as well. And yeah, that was that, yeah. really. And then you listen to Ringo's good song. And we've, like, we eventually good. got to, to Ringo's albums. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I love, I love Ringo. Um, and I, I will be the Liverpool 8 album, I absolutely adore. It's uh, what oh, I, yeah? whenever I do a magical mystery tour. So, that obviously, you said earlier on that I, I guide on there. Um, it, it's a staple part of my tour to play the Liverpool 8 song by Ringo while driving through Liverpool. I just think that it's perfect. It's a great song. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. yeah, that's how I got into the Beatles. I religiously listened to them excessively, and then I got obsessed with the songs, the meanings behind the songs, and then I got I got obsessed with the uh, Paul is Dead conspiracy, and I was hooked on it. Could not stop researching uh-huh. the Paul is Dead conspiracy, and then I researched every other fan theory, and then all of a sudden I was driving around the city at every Beatles attraction, looking at the houses and being like, "Wow, you know, it's such a big deal." And, and from that moment on, I was a crazy you know, super fan in a way. 
Oh, that's so cool. We have a, yeah, one of our early episodes was all Paul is dead. So we are big fans of that as well. I will say for, for anyone under the age of 30 who comes on a magical mystery tour, it's the most asked question for me. Um, it, the one that you get to Strawberry Field is Paul McCartney dead? Was he even placed by an imposter? <laughs> um, I, every time I get to Strawberry Field, of course, you, you've been to Strawberry Field and seen the gates. Uh, mm-hmm. all the gates is just R.I.P. Paul, Billy Shears. You know, there's <laughs> massive big. Uh, so the second you get there, you, you, I see younger people, you know, people in the twenties who've spent years watching YouTube conspiracy theories and and pointing at the wall. I just go on to her and sniggering, and then I smile, and they go, "Is Paul dead? Do you think Paul's dead?" And I'm like, "There's literally not a chance that Paul McCartney is dead." And then I, <laughs> I generally break it down and go, the, the, "The odds of finding someone as good as Paul McCartney, you know, left-handed who looked exactly like him and covering it up," I said, "The odds of that happening is impossible." So that that's generally my my bog standard answer to that one it's reassuring to hear from you that paul is not dead yeah, well, it's good to know that liverpool tour guides are not going around uh, perpetuating that <laughs> yeah right <laughs> trying, to, trying to cut it off exactly uh, is, so who's your favorite beetle i don't have a favorite if i was forced i'd probably say john i think that i like to think john is for me almost the definition of human art he, he was a, a rough kid from a difficult background and he, he grew up to be a man who's known now for his legacy of peace and love and I, I think it's a beautiful legacy I, I love his message especially throughout the 70s I love the message of you know give peace a chance all you need is love and it, it but it, it's I just think he was he was genius musically and I think politically as well I, I love the messages that he was coming out with especially in the early 70s you know and yeah it, yeah, yeah. But then the George Harrison overtakes him sometimes. They go, I love George. Absolutely adore him. And then 2018, oh, Paul McCartney did so much for Liverpool that all of a sudden right. I was like, I love Paul McCartney. You know, he was my favorite. <laughs> and then, yeah, Ringo. Yeah. I do Ringo. I, I love Ringo. Yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, you know, uh, Ringo is, is pretty much like Switzerland, I think, with the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> He's there, and he's cool. I've got to appreciate Ringo. I absolutely, I love him, and the Beatles wouldn't have been the Beatles without Ringo. That's true. Without a shadow of a doubt, what he did for the band, the the, the attitude and demeanor he had as well. Um, That Mm. that was what was lovable about me. It was like he was along for the ride. He was like a fan, almost. I think that's how people, whenever I speak about Ringo to people, they were like, it's like he was along for the ride, you know. That's rubbed off on me over time. I do think, yeah, they he was. He was the fun, you know, sort of beetle in the background, wasn't he? By the time you get into Abbey Road, you know, it, it's impossible to ignore how great Ringo was by the time you were at Abbey Road. Definitely, there was no other drummer for the Beatles but Ringo. Credit to Pete Best, but I think Ringo was the guy. Massive credit to Pete. Pete Best upped his Twitter game, hasn't he? You know, on Twitter, the tweets that have went out have uh, blew me mind how great they are. You know, Ringo's birthday. Oh, he was just brilliant. You know? oh. Yeah, Pete has definitely created a little uh, footprint for himself on Twitter. He's hilarious. He literally is. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> well, I would love to know. So we mentioned some of the roles that you have. Uh, you have many. Um, can you give us like a little bit of a breakdown of each of the things that you do in Liverpool? Because not all of us have been there and had the opportunity to to take the Magical Mystery Tour, for example, or see the Cavern Club. Okay, then with me, it was about... Four years ago, I accidentally fell into tour guiding. Um, I, I joined a company, it was a hop-on, hop-off tour bus company, 
Um, and, and it was three, four weeks after joining, and the director sat down with me and he said, listen, we want to design a Beatles tour. And you're, you're a huge Beatles fan. And before then, I'd, I'd done some local writing and things like that. Um, so people knew I was a big Beatles fan. It was, it was already out there. Um, and I'd worked for the Beatles Museum and the, you know, the Beatles story on the Albert Dock. And then I, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll write a Beatles tour. And so I started the plans for it. And then we brought in a, um, another guy, fantastic tour guide, Lee. He, he came in and he started designing the tour alongside me. And all of a sudden the idea evolved. It, it was no longer just a private Beatles tour. It was a hop-on, hop-off service bus tour. Um, so all of a sudden the company transformed. And then one day we couldn't get any tour guides. And I had a history of public speaking and I had the knowledge of the Beatles. And all of a sudden it was like, Dell, you need a tour guide. I was like, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm not a guide. I said that. Back then, it was the last direction I ever wanted to head in. I didn't want to be a tour guide, you know. And then all of a sudden, it was like, Dell, you need to guide on this tour. And then they threw me in the deep end and off I went on the tour bus. And it was very, very unprofessional thinking back, you know, throw a guy on. And, you know, I had no one on there coaching me or anything. And it was 72 people on an open top tour bus. And uh, I, I guided to them. And, and so that was how I got into tour guiding. And all of a sudden, it became apparent that, and I don't want to sound arrogant or big-headed when I say this, but it seemed that I was quite good at it. You know, I was getting brilliant customer feedback all of a sudden. And it went from there. So I was head of marketing for the company, and I was also then a tour guide. And then all of a sudden, my job was almost 50-50. I was doing loads of tour guiding. Uh, and then one day, the Cavern, Cavern City Tours gone, touched me and said, we want you working for us. Um, by that time, the, the tour that we had designed for the Open Top Buses was shortlisted for two regional awards. Uh, I'd been shortlisted for regional tourism start of the year, something I was very proud of. And all of a sudden, I was almost like an established tour guide. So, of course, qualified a little while later. And here I am. So... My main job, as I say, is I look after all the well, the social media for the Cavern Club. Um, so everything that goes on, like, well, for the Cavern City Tours, so it's about 18 different social media accounts. Uh, and then as well as that, it was about 18 months ago, after already guiding on the Magical Mystery Tour for quite some time, they said, Dale, for the first time, we want to set up behind-the-scenes tours of the Cavern, and we want you to set them up. So I was extremely proud of that one. It was a lot of stress. I had to research so much because, of course, uh, as we know, there was a significant amount of, of myth about the cavern, a significant amount of rumour surrounding the cavern club as well. Its history is very long, and lots of the myth, you understand why people believe these certain things about the cavern. It, it's, and, and that's what I've had to do for the past 16 to 18 months. Uh, I, I take people around the cavern club explaining the, the long history of the venue. Yeah, and let's get into that a little bit because, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before when I came back from Liverpool in February that, you know, when I took your tour, I learned so much. And of course, I've been, you know, researching and being a Beatles fan for like 20 years now, but it's like, I had those misconceptions. I was always like, oh, the cavern's on the other side of the street, and this isn't even like where it was. And there's like a parking lot, you know, rumor and all that. And I was just like, it blew my mind a little bit. So I have to give you credit for that because you surprised me. <laughs> When you're in that situation, you can actually show someone, hold on, this is where this, exa this exact place was right here, right where you stood. And if you can put things actually into the perspective and, and you know the orientation of Matthew Street, then it, it makes a bit more sense. But I think, unfortunately, and it's something I 
battle with all the time is the Wikipedia page for the Gavin. Uh, I, I battle with the mods quite excessively, the army of them on there. The second I, I try and fill in the history and source it correctly, all of a sudden it just gets removed and all of a sudden it's back on. And the online information isn't as clear as it should be. That's the problem we have. Well, we don't need to worry about that because we're going to set the record straight right now. And uh, the podcast is a, a massive deal. Um, and uh, so this will take care of it. Mm-hmm. You never have to worry about it again. Good. Okay. That's a promise. Yeah. I've got that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start with what was, I don't know, I think it might be the biggest misconception, certainly in my mind, the first time I went to Liverpool, which I was, I don't know, 2008. And I totally went down Matthew Street, uh, like holier than thou, being like, this isn't even the real Cavern Club. Mm. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people say the Cavern was originally on the opposite side of the street. Yes. What is the rebuttal? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's untrue. Um, there's a tiny bit of truth in it. Uh, in as much as it was not there in the first place. The way in which the cavern history, it'd be helpful to view it. It's not the way it should be viewed because it's realistically only me and a handful of other tour guides and, and of course, the owners and directors and staff who, who know the, the full story. But the way in which I always say it, the cavern is in multiple stages. You have it from 1957 when it first opened as a jazz club. Alan Sithen was the first owner. And then you get it to 1966, by the time the Cavern's owner during the gold era, a man called Ray McFall, he went through financial difficulties and then all of a sudden the Cavern was closed. And by the time the Cavern Club reopened, it was no longer number 10 Matthew Street. It was number 8 to 12 Matthew Street. And so that is when you enter into a second phase of the Cavern Club's history. So you have 1957 to 1966, which is one phase, uh, which was that legendary era of the Cavern's history where it was dark, it was damp, it was dusty, it was smelly. The whole place stunk of toilet disinfectant because the toilets realistically didn't work. There was no working toilet in the entire cavern. So the waste just simply went into the bedrock of the cavern itself. So the only way to get rid of that waste and the smell was just to pour disinfectant over it. But by the time the cavern moved in 1966, they had working toilets in there. They had a fire exit in there. No longer did they have that legendary atmosphere, that stunk of smoke and sweat, and the amps would get blown off because sweat had dripped onto them, you know? All of a sudden, it changed. All of a sudden, the Cavern Club teenagers had grown up and they were in their early 20s, you know? And the Cavern no longer smelt. It was no longer dangerous. It no longer had that thrill. So you've got to consider that this isn't only a myth from... This very day, of, you know, it's not the original cavern, it's not the cavern at all. And um, people had that attitude by 1966 when the Beatles were still topping the charts, you know. But by 1973, the Cavern Club, it was forced into a closure, which is a completely different era in the Cavern Club's history. Um, from 1966, its entrance moved from exactly, well, to exactly where it is to this very day. The original entrance became the fire exit of the club. And then in 1973, British Rail placed a compulsory purchase order on number 8 to 12 Matthew Street. They planned the demolition of the cavern to build a ventilation shaft for the city's underground railway loop. Uh, and to cut a very long story short, and of course there's many details, which I'm sure you'll ask about, um, but it was never ever built. But in that time, the owners of the cavern uh, decided to move the club to the other side of the street. And that was in 1973. And by 1976, it was no longer the cavern on the other side of the street. It was known as Revolution and then later changed its name to Eric's. And you might have heard of Eric's. Many people might have heard of Eric's. Eric's was legendary for the punks in Liverpool. So Matthew Street was at the forefront of another musical revolution, and that was the punks. 
the likes of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Clash, The Ramones, Echo and the Bunnymen, A Flock of Seagulls, even have links to Eric's, Elvis Costello, the list of great people who came through Eric's goes on and on and on, but it was not the Cavern Club. And people ever since, because there was a sign on the wall which said the Cavern, because Revolution and Eric's was owned by Cavern Enterprises, it founded a myth that has never, ever, ever been shook, of course, even to this very day. That explains it. And the entrance to Eric's, I feel like that's pointed to as the quote unquote cavern entrance, like the true cavern entrance. But it was only that for a short period of time. And it really wasn't even the cavern. No, it it wasn't. And realistically, by 1973, most of the city knew it wasn't the cavern. The city certainly shouted by the fact about the fact it wasn't the cavern. Anyone who visited Matthew Street, it's not the real cavern, you know, it, it's not it's not the place. So it was already happening then by 1973. So you had 1966, where the cavern became somewhere that was actually a little bit uh, of a better class because it, it no longer stunk and it no longer had that legendary atmosphere and environment. Um, so you already had people by 66 saying it wasn't a real cavern. By 1973, the passions were ignited again. It's not the real cavern. Uh, and to make matters worse, there was a, a second myth and this was the main myth, by the way, that happened back then. And it wasn't necessarily a myth. And this this is what I'm saying. You know, when you're saying, was the cavern on the other side of the street? Not the original cavern. And the cavern to this very day isn't on the other side of the street. Um, but technically, yes. So there's a little bit of truth in all these myths. Uh, but the main myth that happened from 1973 until 1984 uh, was that the cavern club had been demolished to come a car park. Uh, and that is probably, to this very day, the most famous myth truthfully, that, that I've discovered. Whenever I see comments online or under YouTube videos, it's always that the cavern is a car park. I remember reading that when I was a teenager, you know, mm-hmm. the, and I was so sad. You know, it's something that really devastates you as a Beatles fan because every American Beatles fan dreams of going to Liverpool. You know, yeah. that's like, obviously, like Mecca. And to see to know or quote unquote know that the cavern is, a, you know, a car park, it's like, ah, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> it, it is. It's definitely why, why there. You know, <laughs> now it's something that, that I told you when you you visited the cavern in 1973. As I say, British Rail demolished number eight to twelve Matthew Street. The buildings on ground level were, were leveled themselves. Bulldozers were brought in. The buildings were ripped down, and um, because British Rail, not Liverpool City Council, they wanted to build a ventilation shaft for the city's underground railway loop. So Liverpool City Council have unfortunately shouldered the blame of this for years and years and years. Again, still under YouTube comments and, and Facebook comments to this very day is that it, the, the council demolished it, but it wasn't. It was British Rail. The problem is, is when they demolished the buildings and then they started trying to build the ventilation shaft, they discovered that there was water which flows underneath Matthew Street. So it prevented the demolition of the actual Cavern Club itself. So the Cavern Club underneath ground level still existed. The tops of the archways are being demolished to there, stop the build-up of gases. Uh, and of course, what happened then is that the cavern sat dormant until 1980. But what happened on ground level is that it was a bare patch of land, so everybody parked the cars on it. So again, you can see where that myth comes from, which is from 1973 until 1980. Every tourist from around the world who came to Matthew Street would leave saying, the Cavern Club's now a car park. You know, there's people parking the cars exactly where the Cavern is. Exactly. And what a claim to fame that was for many people. I parked my car where the original Cavern was. (laughs) (laughs) Like you say, there's like a kernel of truth in all of these myths. 
It makes sense. But once you dig into the myths, for me, I see these myths every single day because my job is the unfortunate mix of telling people the history of the cav and telling people all about these myths and how they came about and then being a social media guy as well and, and seeing these myths every single day and wanting to reply to every last one of them. And I just know I can't fight that battle. And so it, it takes yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of mellowing out to sort of go, okay, I can't reply to all of these. It must be so frustrating. It is frustrating. And as I say, I think to round the story off, of course, it was in 1984 and the Cavern Club was excavated. So it's, again, one of the famous myths is that the Cavern Club was demolished in 1973. The Cavern Club, in a very technical way, was not demolished in 1973. The warehouses above it were demolished in 73. The Cavern Club was then dismantled between 1980 and 1984 when an architect called David Backhouse excavated the Cavern Club. He excavated it, and then they would discover that the foundations weren't stable enough for it to be reopened, so they would then carefully dismantle it brick by brick and rebuild the cavern. And so this is what gets extremely confusing about it again, is because the Cavern Club, when it was reopened, they reopened it using the 1966 entrance as the main doorway, and the location of the original entrance would then become the location of the new fire exit of the Cavern Club for some reason. And this is what I mean, again, there's certain things that we don't fully know the answers or the reason for, but we know that number 10 is occupied now by the Cavern Club. 70% of the original cavern's footprint is occupied by the current Cavern Club as well. Uh, the original stage location, all the original bricks, 15,000 of the original bricks to be very precise, now make up the Cavern Club um, since 1984 to this very day. And so that's what makes the arguments about it not being the original cavern extremely confusing because it's not the original cavern. You know, the cavern club from 1957 to 1966 could not in any way be open in 2020. It'd be the most unsafe venue in the world. It was unsafe in 1966. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine right now in 2020 going down into a, a dark, damp, dusty basement cellar where you crammed in with about 500 other kids. So that's Alan Sithner said that on the first night the cavern opened, they had 500 people in there. That sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it does. And that's what I mean. I think no matter what happens, the cavern club to this very day has a, has a good history, well, a legendary history in Northern Ireland, right? You know, many great people have performed here in modern times, including Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr stood on the stage as well. It's extremely frustrating to see people dismiss the cavern because no matter what happened, if the original cavern was still around to this day, they would have to change it and they'd have to change it to be very much like the current cavern today. You know, it'd be impossible for it not to be. Yeah. And well, I think one of the things and, and, you know, talking about the doorway, one of the things that's wonderful, as you say, the entrance now is the one from 66, but there's now like a big placard sort of near what was the original door. So Thank God there's no mistaking that anymore. That I don't think that was there when I first went to Liverpool. Um, but one of the things on your tour is, you know, until you've had to recently modify it because of the pandemic, was going down the stairs. So you felt like you were kind of going in the original way, which was very exciting for me. I got to say, that was very cool. Honestly, it, it was exciting for me. As I mentioned earlier on, I, I was a huge Beatles fan. I, I used to go drinking in the cavern seven, eight years ago. And I'd listen to the musicians in complete not awe of it. You know, I was I was in the cavern, such a legendary venue. And then, of course, I studied it more. And then I eventually started working for the cavern. And it was just before we started doing tours of the cavern that the owner said, "Okay, we'll take you around. We'll show you every last bit of the venue." And I, I was over the moon. You know, it, I got to walk yeah. into that original location of the entrance, and. 
it was a big deal for me. I will be honest, and it's something I have to be extremely honest about because the amount of scrutiny we received as the Cavern Club as a venue, uh, the amount of scrutiny our tour guide received, that of course includes me, it's not the original entrance, it's the original location of the entrance. So as I said a, a moment ago, the Cavern Club was fully excavated and then rebuilt. So it was dismantled brick by brick and then rebuilt using the same materials. So when they've rebuilt the Cavern Club, they've put the entrances in the same location. When you enter in, the cavern's 90 degrees turned to the side, in effect, and then the Cavern Club as a whole is actually bigger as well um, because we've included an additional live lounge, which is the back room of the Cavern where Paul McCartney played in 2018 and 1999. But it's the original location of the entrance. So for me, what I find exciting is to walk in exactly where it would have been and i'm talking it is exactly in that location we know that based on pictures with the building opposite and uh, from mirroring the images against each other it's the exact location of the original entrance and then you get to a certain point on the steps where you know that the old steps would have ended and you can't see it there's no architectural design to show you that this is where the steps would have ended but me being a guide, I've learned it over time that this is exactly where it would have ended. And then you know how further underground the current cavern club is, which works out to be about eight steps, about eight foot further underground. So I find it all very interesting, even as a fan. But then actually taking people around, I see people crying as they enter into that entrance. I get them on the live lounge stage at the end and, and, and they have tears in their eyes. And you know, it's beautiful to see that. Yeah, it really is. Well, it's rare that you get such an intimate experience with a legendary historical venue. Like, this is really where it all happened. And we, as Beatles fans, obviously, like, this is the place we want to be in to be able to get into those details. It's very rare, you know, especially to have somebody so knowledgeable. Some places you go and they're just sort of like, yeah, like, it might have been here, might have been the next room over. We're not really sure. But to have that level of detail is like paradise. Yeah. Liverpool still has a great culture of tour guides. And I think most major cities in the world right now, especially when I've, I've traveled and I haven't traveled as much as I'd like to, but the tour guides you mainly get around cities sometimes, you know, students, which is great, by the way. I think students sometimes make the absolute best tour guides because they're full mm-hmm. of enthusiasm, they're full of passion. And that's what I think is half the battle with, with guiding in general. You've got to be passionate. You've got to be, you know, enthusiastic and you, if you've said the same tour script a thousand times, it's going to get a little bit boring. It's going to get a bit stale. But Liverpool still has a great um, a great amount of guides who are passionate. And it's a real profession in this city. You know, and it's a real passion. People are desperate to tell people the authentic history. In fact, sometimes you just meet a random scouser on Matthew Street, a random Liverpoolian. He'll just come over as if he's a tour guide. And he's not. Yeah, <laughs> It happens all the time. It's as if every scouser is a tour guide. And, it, it's it's came out in the culture of the actual profession in this city to be a guide is actually a point of pride and a few years back i was like i really don't want to be one and then all of a sudden a bit further down the line you realize it's a it's a really good thing and it's a great city to be a tour guide in as well because there's a significant amount of history here and it's all exciting history it's not boring history it, it's real you know cool stuff like I meet a lot of tour guides in the grapes at like midnight after <laughs> i don't know like... <laughs> Uh, yeah a lot of uh experts yeah there. i meet them as well it's cool you know yeah I, I yeah, yeah. I then they it. get up and do karaoke and it's it's awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love great tour guides <laughs> well it's all for me as as a young guy as well because i i get it i i, I drink on matthew street 
And sometimes people come over, you know, it's not the real cavern, don't you? And it's like, oh, man, I am minding my own business. Come on, please don't do this to me. Don't, don't oh, say no. those horrible words to me. We, we know yeah. it's not the original, but I don't understand it. It is a strange thing, and it's it's only the cavern that gets it, really. Um, but people seem so passionate to say that. Of course, this week we've had a significant amount of press internationally. Um, right. and underneath every news article around the world, you can almost guarantee it's the first thing people say. And you think, why is this an international thing? I understand it. In Liverpool, people are still annoyed that the cavern was you know, demolished in 1973 by British Rail, and, and 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 they've got those feelings, the emotion about it. But I don't understand why it, it can be publicised in Australia, and some random Australian will pop up and, and, and say it's not the original cavern. It's like it's a global <laughs> phenomenon, just to say that as a, as a quote, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, everybody's an expert on the internet, so the random Australian wants to be the one to be the truth-sayer here. Breaking news. Set, yeah. Set, yeah, right? To set the record straight, you know, that's the expert, really. Yeah. I would love to touch on that, if you can, because, you know, we have heard the headlines this week that, you know, quote-unquote, the cavern's in trouble because of COVID. There's a chance it'll close and all of that. Truthfully, Liverpool as a city is in a, a sad position at the moment. You know, I think we all are. I mean, it's it's it'd be unfair for me to just say it's the cavern, or unfair for me to say it's Liverpool as a city, or you know, England or, or the United Kingdom. It, it's something we're all struggling with, isn't it? And I think every business is struggling. Uh, right. In Liverpool, our music scene is legendary, and it was unfortunate that just a few weeks ago it was announced that the Zanzibar, and it's somewhere that realistically nationally it's not even that well known but in liverpool it's a legendary uh, original music venue and that's folded and then we have other mm. venues in the city live music venues that are currently struggling as well we're all in this position in the city the arts um, scene in liverpool is incredible and we're all struggling we, we face a real reality in our theaters in our pubs in our it's across the board and it's a scary time for all of us but for the cavern club uh, the Cavern Club's losing a significant amount of money per week, and that's in running costs. It's not necessarily in sales. In sales, we're losing a, an astronomical amount, but we'll be fine. It's something that we, we we were very clear to say from the offset. You know, we're still in a position where we can reopen the Cavern Club. We're not closing, uh, and it, it was not necessarily unfortunate to see the headlines run as the Cavern Club is facing closure. Um, but it's many people have came away with the impression we're facing the media closure and it's not the case. We're excited that in one week's time to the day, we're going to be launching our virtual Beat Week Festival, something which has been difficult to organize. You know, it's um, from 27 different countries. It's about 180 different videos that we have oh uh, bands all around the world. They've sent them to us. We've got messages from special guests. That's going to happen. We're opening up the cavern after five months next Thursday, and it's an exciting time for us. I say next Thursday, but by the time this podcast goes out, it might be in like four days' time. I don't know, 27th <laughs> of August. Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're in a position where we can open, and if we open and things go well, then it's, it's happy days. We're, 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 I was about to say back to normal, but we're not going to be back to normal for a little while, are we? It's, God, if only, if, if only. But yeah, no, I mean... I know a lot of us are, are chomping at the bit to get back to Liverpool and pump money <laughs> to the tourism there. 
if we all, I don't know, ordered merch from the cavern, would that help? Sure. Some beautiful merchandise. If I can recommend any piece of merchandise from the cavern, apart from the beautiful cavern face masks that we've we've now got in stock, I don't know if you've seen them online. Have you not seen no. them? I thought you'd absolutely love them. Yeah, and we've got a cavern face mask, which is just basic, and it says the Cavern Club Liverpool on it, which is great. And then we have a. a I think it, over in the States, it's called them a buff. Yeah. It, it, we call them a snood or a snud. Yeah. I don't um, know what either of those things are. It, it's basically like a balaclava in effect. It's like a, a neck scarf that you pull over your oh, face. Okay. Yeah, and that's the whole cavern back wall. It's the, the Mondrian painting of the cavern's back wall as a snood. So that, that's quite cool. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. If I can recommend anything for anyone, it's the cavern's documentary. So for the cavern's 60th anniversary, and one of the big projects was not only to launch a 60th anniversary cavern book, which if you buy that cavern book, it tells you the full, full history of the cavern club in every last detail, including having the original plans of the cavern, including the, the 1966, the 1973 demolition plans and the 1984 reopen plans all together side by side, which is an unbelievable resource for anyone who is passionate about the cavern's history. And um, But we also embarked upon a documentary and the documentary is absolutely unbelievable because it's loads of old footage of the cavern club and uh, current footage of the cavern club again it covers the demolition and the, the rebuild and the reopening of the cavern club too um but that, that the documentary it's it's cheap you know it's, it's i say cheap it's not cheaply made uh, but it's cheap to buy you know and and it's in u.s format and UK and European format and it's incredible as a sort of one hour documentary to understand the history and legend of the Cavern Club and the fact it's an institution and it's still a current live music venue to this very day. It's certainly worthwhile watching. So if you if you're gonna try and say what merch should we buy to support us, uh, I'd say buy the documentary. It's literally it, it supports not only the Cavern Club, but it supports everyone else in in understanding the history of it too. Oh, amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, I am gonna later today definitely get some face mask action up in here um <laughs> and check out the documentary. Yeah, so this has been amazing. I'm so glad we finally had you on. It's been a long time coming and it's been totally worth it. International Beetle Week starts the 27th of August. We'll put a link in our show notes and we'll put it on our socials and everything. Is there anything else you want to address or talk about, Dale, before we uh, let you go? You know what? I've got nothing left to address. I've got a nice, <laughs> I've got a second bowl of Scouse waiting for me as we speak. So I'm going to uh, go talk into great. that. <laughs> well thank you so much for uh for coming on and it's been so much fun you'll have to come back thank you thanks for having me on i've honestly really enjoyed chatting to you so thanks very much. yeah thank you and we end as we always end with our favorite beatles of session of the moment Allison, what's yours? Well, I sort of previewed it in our intro, but I, okay, here's the thing. <laughs> this is going to sound absolutely crazy. So Strawberry Field, I've, I talked about it when I came back from Liverpool in February, has a museum and they have the grounds there now and they have an awesome gift shop with a ton of cool stuff, which is what I got for our giveaway. And the reason I ordered stuff from Strawberry Field as much as I'd like to say it was just for a giveaway, it's because they have the best candles ever. And I don't know how they make these candles. I don't know where they get them, but the smell of them is so good. And I haven't found anything like that potent before. My favorite is this orange mandarin candle. 
and it just is so it is just it's like juicy you can like taste the orange it's crazy I know it's crazy that I ordered these from Liverpool but I got them this week and then I also ordered um little uh strawberry clotted cream biscuits that came Ooh. and that was amazing also from strawberry fields yes. everything came from strawberry well I don't think they were made there but you know they come from England so they're legit for our giveaway I have two strawberry field tote bags and a bunch of pens that are very cool and they're different colors and they say strawberry field on them so yeah good stuff and uh yeah it's always fun to get a package from Liverpool it's all taped up nice and secure yeah, and that's awesome I, I'm don't they have strawberry candles too? Or is it just orange is the better oh, flavor? Oh, no. So let me just give you the rundown here. So they have orange, uh, mandarin. I did get a strawberry scented candle. And I got a, I think it's like a pina colada sort of flavor. It's like coconut and pineapple, very tropical. And yeah. the one that they're out of, which was such a bummer, is like a linen candle that is, oh, it's so good. It smells so like clean and fresh. So yeah, I'll just have to order more, you know, stuff from Strawberry Field when that comes back in stock. They should hire you over at Strawberry Fields to uh, to pimp some of this stuff out. You are really the ambassador. I didn't I know, even know right? you sold most of these things. Hashtag not sponsored, guys. You know, but if <laughs> Strawberry Field wants to sponsor me as their official candle spokesperson, I'm not going to turn that down. I will sell out for that, for free candles. That's all you have to give me, Strawberry Field. I love this. This is so weird. <laughs> I know. It's so weird. I might may or may not be burning one right now. Also. May or may not be. Yeah, and that's not a lie. That you know, I didn't get paid to say that. Again, if you want to pay me, cool. Pay me in candles. There you go. Anyway, I'll stop shilling to like the Salvation Army. Eric, yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite Beatles related thing in the week? This is one of the weirdest things I've seen in a long time, and I'm a little bit obsessed with it. Earlier this uh, this month, the elders of Walpole Island, which is a First Nation reserve in southwestern Ontario in Canada, nominated Paul McCartney for uh, chief of Walpole Island. Paul McCartney and Ryan Reynolds were both nominated for chief of Walpole Island. So... Um, <laughs> What? That's a lot to unpack. It's very strange. They are n neither of them are members of the First Nation, though uh, Ryan Reynolds is at least Canadian. Um, <laughs> there is no rule that the nominated chief has to be a member of the nation, so they chose Paul McCartney and Ryan Reynolds. Indigenous Services Canada has tried to contact both Paul and Ryan Reynolds to see if they wanted to accept their nomination. <laughs> and they need to accept the nomination by 4 p.m. next Thursday in order to stay on the ballot. And um, I hope they do. Um, just, it's just so weird. I mean, out of every human on the earth, they arrive at Paul and Ryan Reynolds. It's very strange. I can't find one article that says why they wanted to do this. It's a fairly nominal role. I mean, it's, it's not... <laughs> you know, it, he wouldn't be coming in and actually doing any any governing right. or figurehead, but it's still a real role in their community, and it's still an election that um, you know that will take place on September nineteenth. There are twelve candidates nominated for chief, so there are ten other people most likely better qualified than Paul McCartney, but. Yeah. You never know. I mean, if they if they get in contact with him, he can stay on the ballot and uh, 
maybe he has a new title to add to Sir Paul McCartney. Chief Paul? Chief Paul McCartney? I, yeah, I guess it would be Chief Paul McCartney of Walpole Island in Ontario. Uh, you so. know, there's some person on Walpole Island who, like, this has been their goal their whole life. And they've been working towards it. They've been, like, doing community service and, like, you know, championing the community and just been, like, a model citizen. And then all of a sudden it's like, nah, we want uh, Paul McCartney and Ryan Reynolds. One of those two. That's cool. Maybe we can trace this back to, like, a fan club. Maybe. (laughs) I'm going to be absolutely riveted. And I like that there are elections happening on Brian Epstein's birthday. Maybe it all ties together. It just all leads up to this pinnacle of having Paul McCartney as the chief. Wow. I'm going to be keeping my ear to the ground on this because it's too weird to not care about. Yes, we will be following the story and 4 p.m. on Thursday, Ontario time. We will find out. If they accept. If they can't be contacted to accept the nomination. So, Paul, pick up the phone. Accept the nomination. So congratulations, Paul McCartney. <laughs> yes, I really hope you're the chief. <laughs> my God. Amazing. Damn, this is a weird story. That's odd. <laughs> this is great. Our, our Beatles-related things of the whenever this time were pretty pretty weird. It's great. Yours weirder than yeah. mine, so congrats. Hats off to you. Thanks. But yours um, smells better than mine? Sure. You can say that. Anyway, thanks for listening to BC the Beatles. <laughs> and as always, please subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening right now. Give us a rating and review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Yes, and please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting photos from this episode and beyond. And across all platforms, we are at BC the Beatles. Remember, you can always email us, including if you've posted a review and want to enter our giveaway at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on BC the Beatles. Bye. Bye.